Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. We have Matt Fellows, co-founder of Packflow. We discuss starting Packflow to recently being acquired by SmartBear. We discuss the open source community and maintaining multiple languages. We also touch on the personas within contract testing and integrating a performance budget within your pipeline. It was full of great conversation and I'm so happy to get Matt on the podcast. It's a really good one, so enjoy. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good day, Lewis. Thanks for having me. It's it's uh it's great to be here. My first podcast. Your first. That's what that surprises me. <laughs> I think you've got a few firsts now, but yeah, I think I've done lots of public speaking, but I've never done a. Uh, to my knowledge, I've never done a podcast. Fair enough. Cool. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do before you got into Pact uh, and contract testing? Yeah, I've, I guess I've been in the industry about about twenty years, I think now almost. Yeah, my last job, uh, I was a principal consultant at a at a company called Dias. Basically, we're an Australian or we're an Australian boutique mm-hmm. product development you know, consultancy. Kind of did end to end development from you know, user experience, you know, design, obviously through all the engineering cloud and and then you know out to market as well, and you know even actually build some physical products. So. That's a really cool place to work. I, I loved working there. I worked there for about seven and a half years, you know, and I got to work at some of Australia's largest companies like, you know, Seek Jobs, uh, National Australia Bank, uh, the ins- NIB, large insurance company, the University of Melbourne and Sweep Arrow near the end of my, my tenure there working on some IoT projects. So I kind of worked lost the full spectrum of cloud and, you know, transition to cloud and DevOps and, and obviously APIs and, and microservices and was actually kind of on my first uh, my first client at Dias out at Seek was where I uh-huh. you know first got exposed to Pact actually and on my project and so we were taking you know quite a large monolithic .NET application actually of all things and you know we were splitting that and and deploying that into the cloud and that was their first public cloud workload you know their, their first real foray into kind of DevOps and and all of this kind of agile delivery as well as microservices so. Kind of had the big three going on there, and you know, contract testing was this thing we're looking at doing with this this new tool called Pact, which I'd never heard of at this point in time. And you know, at the end of that project, it was really formative for, for me in my my career. I think going forward, because just in it was it was only a couple of months project, the first one anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they went from deploying once every couple of months this big thing, and it was a huge, you know, it was a huge effort of multi teams. You get together a big whiteboard, right? This sort of the train view of the world and all the different scrum teams would come together and try to coordinate what they would need to do to get this release out the door. And, you know, inevitably when the release went out, you know, it would take hours to do the actual release, something would go wrong somewhere yeah. and it would all need to be back back out, right? And you'd have to sort of figure it out. So going from that to literally deploying in seven minutes, so commit, hit the commit, wow. seven minutes later it was in front of a customer. It was just transformative for, you know, for that particular team. And, you know, I was just super energized by seeing how that all worked together. And, and you know, Pact was part of it. It wasn't the, the main thing. There was some DevOps stuff there, obviously, in terms of ways of working in the cloud. But the contract testing was really key to to shifting the way we actually, you know, built and test software and, and critical to, obviously, the release pipeline. So, you know, I, I got really excited by that. I think the MD of Australia, he, he we showed him through that one day. We actually got him to do a commit. Right. And he didn't obviously really know what he was doing. But then, like, we kind of took him through the wall and we showed him the build lights and things we had going. And you know, that we sort of watched some flash from orange while it was building and then went back to green and we're like, oh, come look at this. And we showed him the website, he just changed and he just couldn't understand what was going on. Like, he's like, this is a real website. You know, what have I done? Yeah. And then he's like, you know, every team needs to do this. And, and it was kind of just a really good example of, there's lots of great learnings there, but it was just a good example of showing what good looks like. And, you know, sometimes teams will go, that's what we want, right? Because I guess the foray for me into Pact, at that point in time, Pact.js, which is one of the languages I help maintain, 
was it really rudimentary so i thought i'll i'll, I'll put a couple of um contributions in there to 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 help with it yeah and um you know seven years later i'm i'm still a maintainer of all various parts of pact and it was quite funny because you know melbourne's not a very big development scene really in, in the grand scheme of things and yeah so seek was just around the corner from realestate.com.au that was where it was born just around the corner so kind of all full circle yeah so that's the start of your journey let's jump in to here and now and the exciting news that you've just been acquired by smart bear so yeah tell us a little bit about how that came about and and what that means for for packflow uh yeah it's great news it's, it's very exciting we're still kind of in the the early the early stages where we're very much in the you know that kind of romance stage we've we've gone through the the acquisition part of it and we're now in the we've just landed at you know only a couple of weeks ago really officially as smart bear employees and you know so far everyone's been you know fantastic everyone's been really friendly but yeah kind of how we got there was you know despite packflow itself only being a commercial offering for you know three years um by the time we we sort of i guess exited you know we've been working at contract testing since you know mm-hmm. all of us since 2013 so it's it's been quite a long journey you know we never got into this you know, to sell a business, that wasn't why we, you know, we, we did this in the first place. But, you know, I guess if you think about the product itself has matured and has been in the market for a while and the concept has matured. Uh-huh. And I think a few things came together that this sort of meant that was came to fruition. Yeah. One was that, you know, obviously we, you know, we obviously look at our competitors, we look at other tools in the market and, you know, Smart Bear is one of the, you know, one of the big, the big players there has, you know, a lot of great heritage in the testing space and a lot of great tools in that space as well. And and so that's one angle. Mm-hmm. So we're almost releasing uh, the bi-directional contract testing feature. So that was that sort of more of a, I guess, a play to help people do what we'd call, you know, design first or provider driven kind of API design. And that feature works really closely or the initial version of it works really closely with an open API spec swagger for, you know, for those who know that term. And, you know, we're looking at integrations there. And of course, you know, Swagger Hub, we've spoken to a lot of customers who are using Swagger Hub and you would raise that in in sort of customer calls. So, you know, it was just one of those things that we thought of reach out. And I think in the end, I'm not sure which direction the reach out came from was from Smart Bear or from from us, but there'd been a bit of kind of, you know, uh, playing through different, different channels and, yeah, I guess the conversation came together. That was the first chat. And then, mm-hmm. you know, through through a few conversations, we we just realized there was a lot of alignment in values there. And, you know, and Smart Bear also had, you know, they've got a, a very large global team. Uh-huh. They're getting feedback from their customers all the time. And contract testing just comes up a lot. And it turned out that another team internally was actually looking to use contract testing on their own internal services in, in, you know, in terms of delivering software, you know, just from a few different angles, you know, it, it just kept coming up and they they basically indicated that, you know, they're going to go down this path at some point. Contract testing is definitely a thing. Sure. And, you know, they really want to make that fit into their ecosystem somehow. You know, through our conversations, we were just, you know, I guess we we're pretty impressed with their open source heritage. Nice. You know, so again, like open API spec, you know, the Cucumber community, the SOAP UI community, that is a really active, you know, well-funded communities and, you know, it's funded by SmartBear. Probably first and foremost on how, on our things we cared about was the open source community. So we felt like there was good alignment there. They want to push and recognition of some of the ways that testing is changing yeah. and their tools maybe needs to shift with that and their tools are shifting with that. You know that focus on developer-led testing, and of course, just that general, you know, general values around prioritizing software quality, yeah. recognizing that testers and developers have a role to play across that that whole spectrum, and it's really just quality across the entire life cycle of software. Meant that if we could, if we could make this work, you know, contract testing is a narrow, a narrow thing. But if you can make it work within a, a bigger picture, then our customers are going to do better. So, mm-hmm. 
those kinds of things all came together and you know obviously we had to work through commercials and things like this but you know we all felt like the open source community would do better the product would do better and our people would do better and so you know ultimately it just made sense to us cool yeah that's great to hear about the alignment that you guys have and what that means for the future because i think it's always a it's always a scary moment when a tool that you love gets taken over by a bigger player but yeah it's great to Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's such a big decision. And we, we, we generally feel the weight of the community mm. with these things. Like even sometimes just putting a post in Slack, we're like, well, is this going to be the, is this the right thing for our community? Is this going to benefit the community or, or not? And so something as big as this was, yeah. you know, there's a lot of conversations, <laughs> a lot of conversations. And, you know, we had to, we had to get, we had to get to the core of a lot of these things. And I have to say that the the people we're working with on the smart best side were really professional and really supportive and really open about everything. And hopefully we, we reciprocated there and we really felt like it was a good thing to do. And you touched on the, the community that are involved with obviously maintaining the open source side of PAC. What are the kind of challenges that you face in, in scaling that? Obviously you started, when you started, there's a couple of people using it company obviously using it in-house so yeah how did you kind of scale that that operation well i I still think we're doing that i do believe that i think process is important and i think historically we've been fairly poor with process as as such a small group but you know i i I think we can continue to do better there but i think process helps because you can be really clear to everybody what the process is and again i I don't think we're necessarily fully realizing that those yeah those ideals but you know if you can say well you know when a bug gets raised this is a process to deal with it or a feature request raised it's a process to deal with it that just helps yeah. because you there is a large community of non-commercial members if you will who want to contribute to the software and they do that for all kinds of reasons you know we got into it because we loved it, it was really interesting well i did we, we all got into it for slightly different reasons mm-hmm. you know some people just like it because they get to contribute to something that people use and uh, some some are happy to do that but they're you know really focused on doing really interesting engineering work and maybe less focused on shipping features quickly yeah and so there's all these different dynamics that come to play and i think transparency and process help, help you navigate through that a little bit mm-hmm. But to be honest, that was one of the reasons why we, we looked we looked at someone like SmartPair as well, because they do have quite large communities and they have processes to deal with that. Yeah. But you know, in terms of how we're looking to deal with that, I think process is definitely one of them. The second one is looking at our product surface area. Mm-hmm. So Pact is not quite unique, but it's fairly unique in the sense that we have to build a language binding for each one, and and the complexity in that language binding is not is not uh, something to, to sneeze at. It's quite it's quite complex. So. Even though we've got you know architectural yeah. things underway, you know the Rust core we've got that we would distribute across it and plugins and things like this, there's still a reasonable amount of work just to keep each client library up to date. And of course, there's a challenge in getting those those up those all kind of a feature parity. So that's one of our big big few priorities this year. But you know, reducing the surface area and, and carefully controlling that is something for us to think about because yeah. the, basically the more things you build, whether that's documentation or features or you know tools or whatever, it's more things to maintain and more things that very quickly. Yeah you know, suffer entropy and just all of a sudden they've drifted from the versions of Node are out of date or something mm-hmm. or the library that they depend on and now have all got these vulnerabilities in them. So yeah, there's a lot of things in that. So, you know, automation is obviously going to be key for us as well. And probably the third area is just having having at least one person dedicated to shepherding and looking after the community. And so I know you spoke to Yusuf, Yusuf Nabi on a previous podcast, but you know, we we just felt like he was a great a great fit for the team for all kinds of reasons. We can talk about that, but 
having somebody who I guess rewarded, if you will, you know, commercially rewarded in the sense that your job is to make sure this community is looked after, yeah. advocate for that community, make sure that we're focused on the most important things, solving the most important problems. That's actually just a big thing in and of itself. And the strategic things that we need to work on too, mm-hmm. you know, documentation is going to be really important for us. And I think we're probably up to our fifth large documentation rewrite that we'll need to be doing very soon, particularly given the commercial side of the business and how that navigates and interacts with the open source side. Those those two things I think are really, really important and documentation. Yeah. We're up to the point, I think where we are in, you know, in terms of the world is that documentation really is a feature. It's not kind of this side thing. It's like actually it's part of the product. And you know, the tools that do documentation really well Developers are going to navigate and engineers are going to navigate to documentation and tools yeah. that are really easy to use. This is all part of couched in that sort of developer experience. Focusing on that, we believe, will actually lead to better usage and yep. and better outcomes for everybody. Coming from, obviously, contributing to, to the packed source, for me, it was really easy because it's well tested. So it was very easy for me to come in and look at the tests and understand what was going on. And then for me, the documentation was actually really clear about how to create a pull request and then get the feedback um, that you needed by pestering you or someone else in the community <laughs> yeah. to, to do a review. So for me, that was a really enjoyable experience. I guess one of the challenges that I see with it is that people always ask me right about the end-to-end journey. And I guess that's where the the different frameworks, it's quite difficult to understand, okay, once I've written the tests over here, what do I do next? Do you know what I mean? And so I guess that's that's one of the challenges with the documentation side of things is because you're in a GitHub repo creating your consumer test and then you publish it and you're like, oh, now I need to go to a different repo to understand what I need to do. Whereas people like it all in one place, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that comes back to the surface area and being able to control the narrative a little bit. Historically, each project was sort of, you know, managed individually, separately by the, the maintainers and the documentation was written by those maintainers differently. So there's no there's no consistency or there wasn't any consistency yeah. in each of those. And that's that's slowly being worked on. But I, I do think that what we'd like is a you know, is a is a one guide to rule them all rule them all. And essentially you can go, I want the Python version of that or the .NET version of that or the Golang version, so on. Yeah. Uh, that would help, and then you can also navigate between them a bit better. The concepts are, you know, clearer. But and and then you're also right. Then moving from a single language, yeah. or moving from the client language to the the broker, really, there's there's a big difference there as well in terms of the personas who get involved with the product. So in smaller companies, it's often the lead developer or you know lead tester or SDET or someone yeah. who will do that work. In a bigger company, we actually find there's huge distances between the people writing the tests and those actually doing the work to to integrate it. You might have a separate team who run the packed broker, but have absolutely no idea how it gets used. Mm. You have a separate team in between who then set up all the pipelines. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you've got the engineers and the testers on the ground who write the test and maintain packed. So you almost have three separate teams or personas who get involved. Yeah. And the documentation is very much not written for the for the first two personas I just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's really targeted at the engineering level. But if you're a you know, let's say you're a DevOps person, I hate the term, but if you're a DevOps person <laughs> and you're in those DevOps teams who have to do that, then and maybe you've come from a different background where engineering code engineering is not your thing and infrastructure as code is probably as far as you go. Yeah. Understanding those contract testing concepts and what that means is actually a bit of a leap as well. So we do have those different personas we need to sort of target differently and, and make sure that we've we've got the right coverage. Yeah. But equally, we need the, the journey to be you know, quite um, seamless. So we've, we've got our, we've got the work we've got our work cut out for us. And I think I think that's just a, just a challenge that it's just, maybe it's just interesting where we sit in the landscape of tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just like anybody, there's no real tool that fits in a single box usually. 
So we kind of get lumped in the API testing box. And that's definitely true. We, we sort of fit there, but it's very blurry when that, that moves into the CI CD box because we're really critical to helping you give that information around what's what's deployable. Sure. And again, that, that I think long-term, you can see how that would work really well with something like SmartBear and its tools and ecosystems where the can I deploy feature right now is purely focused on the contract. But of course, that's not the whole picture, right? If you're deploying software, you're probably not just relying on that one single thing and yeah. pack, you would have other tests and other checks and balances in place and your kind of deploy is one of those. But yeah, you can imagine a world where that's that's in a richer, it's got richer information associated with that. Yeah. So you know, I think conveying that story and conveying how to do that, we've constantly been iterating on, and <laughs> we're, we're not making everybody happy. But you know, that's that's it's an ongoing project. Yeah. No, that's a really cool idea to to expand out the can I deploy feature to other areas of your software. I think that's a really great idea. In terms of where contract testing sits, I always talk about the benefits it has in terms of communication. And it's like, it's basically like an agile tool. Obviously you've got the framework, but the framework isn't doing most of the work. The people around it and the communication, the interactions you're having between teams is what's doing the work and making your software better over time. So I think that's one of the great things about it is that it's not necessarily the code that's doing the hard work. It's the actually building the the quality around it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think just going back to literally my first my first touch point with Pactever back in two thousand fourteen on that project, we had a we had a QA on the team. Uh, his name was Joel. And you know, actually, when we started doing this, we you know one of the first things we did was we looked at you know let's say we looked at the pyramid. Uh, we know it's not the best heuristic, but it's people understand it. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, what tests do we currently have? Yeah. And what we found was there was a huge set of unit tests that the, the the dev group in that same squad wrote. And there was a separate, entirely, you know, quite a large integration testing pipeline. And what I learned through several years of consulting after that was that yeah. the state of the industry generally meant that who did this, the state of the industry was that most of the time, those integration pipelines in whatever form they were called were pretty much read, you know, 90% of the time. And they kind of magically went green just before a release happened, right? Because And somebody, <laughs> yeah. usually the tester, the poor tester had to go through and just make sure it all worked. <laughs> They'd have to go in there and make sure the data was there, make sure the test cases were still valid, that the functionality was tested, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, and they were still, even though they're inside the same team, they were still operating separately. Yeah. And, you know, there's some benefits to those checks and balances in that way. But what we did was we looked at that and said, well, there's a huge amount of overlap there. That's 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 kind of wasteful. We don't need that overlap. And we basically said, okay, these ones here, here's all the tests that are running really slowly mm-hmm. and are costing us time in our pipeline. We actually put a performance budget into our pipeline. Yeah. And, you know, about 15 minutes is usually what I would set a budget at in my CI pipelines or my CD pipelines because anything longer than 15 minutes now when you've got a production issue you've it's minimum that time plus mm-hmm. you know how long it takes to fix a bug so your mean time to recovery starts to fall apart and since then we've learned the mean time to recovery is actually a really good thing to optimize for mm. so anyway we did that and we started to cut out all the tests that we felt weren't really serving us and we erred on the side of we'd rather get decent coverage and feel pretty comfortable mm-hmm. and use contract testing to give us some extra you know confidences fix things really quickly if they come up knowing that they're probably not going to be big issues given that we're testing them and we're getting these out really quickly and we're constantly getting in front of product people mm-hmm. rather than try to cover everything beforehand and of course the context here is we're talking about yeah 
a web application that was, this is kind of a similar to a LinkedIn type product. So the, the consequences of a small bug weren't going to be financially or, you know, commercially uh, terrible. It wasn't like you know, a payment would go to the wrong bank account or something and all of a sudden someone has lost a million dollars. So that context helps, I think. But we cut it all back. And, you know, of course, sure. coming back to this whole thing around the roles, Joel's thinking of feeling a bit uncomfortable here that we've sort of kind of just removed most of what he was doing as a job, right? What is my job now? <laughs> but, you know, fast forward a little bit. At the end of it all, he realized, hang on, all those automation tests, actually a lot of that work was not very interesting for starters. And he was just spent time debugging code and tests. And what he got to do at the end of it was actually focus on the value and focus on coaching and focus on much higher level value. So what he was doing was valuable, but not very valuable, if that made sense. Whereas he actually got to use his, and I think he, this, what he said was, I got to use my brain. Oh, I, now I get to use my brain, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, that was, he went from this sort of not very comfortable about what was going on here. And I wouldn't say he was detracting from the process. He definitely wasn't that far, but yeah, he was obviously concerned about his role. Yeah. At the end of it, didn't, wasn't concerned about his role at all. And really what happened was we just got a better product at the end of it because he got to spend, mm. use his brain to solve more complex and more difficult problems that, that an automation test was never going to pick up in the first place. So I just think it was a really good story. And I think, you know, that that's kind of what taking contract testing aside, this is what you want to do with, you know, testing, right? You want to get to the point where you're constantly working on higher value tests and not spending too much time on, on low value tests where you can avoid it. Cool. That's a really great story. Let's wrap this up. How can the community get involved in Pact? And We're always wanting people to get involved. There's, there's heaps of different ways you can get involved. I, I do think a lot of people think that the only way you can contribute to open source is to contribute code. But as you probably heard just now, you know, actually documentation and helping people understand how to use mm-hmm. a tool is in, in many ways more valuable than writing code because code you, you, you've not discovered or features you've not discovered yet and you've moved away from a tool because they weren't clear, yep. then no one's getting the value from it anyway. So a good example of that I think with Pact is, is our, me- our messaging support. We don't do a very good job of communicating that, but we actually support it. Mm. So if you want to test Kafka queues or SNS or what have, what have you, you can do it. But it's, most people really don't know that. So I think there's a lot of places you can get involved. Um, what I would say, if you do, come and join our Slack channel at slack.pact.io. Wave your hand there and say, this is a great project. I'm really keen to get involved. But here's what, I, you know, what I'm comfortable doing, whether that's working in Python or .NET or Go, or if it's writing documentation, or if it's just looking for bugs, there's always, there's always things to do. Wave your hand, myself, Yusuf, or one of the other maintainers will, will reach out and we'll, we'll, we'll connect and we'll, we'll find something to, to support you with. Cool. Yeah, that's great. And I think adding to the documentation, the readme file is a first great commit because you get to understand the process and then you can build on that. Cool. And where can people learn more about Packflow? So from a Packflow point of view, you can you can visit packedflow.io. That's our that's our commercial website that talks about all things you know to do with our commercial product. From there, there's there's heaps of links to our you know documentation and whatnot. If you want to learn about contract testing, we have a bunch of sort of courses and material on docs.packedflow.io. They'll often link back to the you know the open source uh, documentation as well. But we've got a bunch of you know kind of videos and workshops and tutorials you can do browser and, and offline, and and that's a really great place to get going and. Of course, you know, once you've once you've done that, come and join our Slack channel and you have a chat with the community there. We've got about three and a half thousand members as well. So yeah, come and say hi and we'll we'd love to welcome you to our community. Yeah, I think the Slack channel is a great place to to come with your specific examples and we can apply that to your context. There's some great people who have been through it and you'll gain insight from them. And yeah, if you if you like hearing Matt's Matt's voice and like his approach, then yeah, the videos are a great a great way to uh, see more of Matt. I'm very much hoping Yusuf or somebody else can record those videos. 
And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And yeah, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah, it's been it's been great fun. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. So this is going to be the last episode of the current series of the How to Get Started with Contract Testing podcast. I'll be taking a short break, then I'll be coming back with new episodes. I've already had a couple of requests for topics, but if you have anything you would like to know about contract testing or API testing in general, then reach out to me again via my website at pacman.co.uk and I'll get an expert guest to discuss that topic. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. Share the podcast with your colleagues and friends. Visit my website at pacman.co.uk also where you will find my blog and courses and you can now support me also on Patreon. I offer consultancy services will happily share my experiences with contract testing in your company so contact me via the website and we can talk.